0: Hello you and welcome to You Are Good, of feelings podcast about movies. Today we're talking about School of Rock and we're talking about it with our great friend Jamie Loftus. I'm typically one of your hosts, Alex Steed, though today we're welcoming back to the mic Miranda Zickler, who also edits our episodes, and of course, Sarah Marshall. Jamie Loftus, of course, is a writer, a stand-up comedian, an animator, a podcast co-host and host, uh, and just all-around fabulous person. She has a book called Raw Dog coming out this month. We've been uh, on tour with Jamie as part of the You're Wrong About tour, and it has been fantastic spending all of this time <laughs> with her and seeing how her, uh, how her brain works. Again, we're all on the road and we asked Jamie if she wanted to uh, be on the show and talk about a movie, of course, and uh, promote this fine book about hot dogs, about humanity, about life, about all of the above. And uh, she picked School of Rock, which happens to be. Miranda Zickler, who is our editor, our wonderful editor, who is a member of the band, Cuenca, who is an all-around tremendous person, happens to be one of her favorite movies. So we got Sarah, Jamie, and Miranda together talking about Dewey Finn. How's it going out there, everybody? How is your world? How is your life? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you engaging? Tell us on Instagram. Tell us on Twitter at you are good pod, or you can reach out to us directly via our website. And yeah, I hope everything's going well in your world you are good at feelings podcast about movies is made possible with your support thanks to everyone who supports us on patreon or apple podcast subscriptions you make the show possible and in return for your support you get bonus episodes uh last month we had a bonus episode on sex in the city season two thanks again for making this possible it is uh it's a dream we love that we are able to do this all right that's enough for me let's dive into school of rock with sarah jamie and miranda
1: My Little Women. <laughs> hello, Miranda Zickler. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Uh, uh, hello, Jamie Loftus.
2: Hello, Sarah Marshall.
1: Oh my goodness. Hello, Jamie Loftus.
2: Hi, Miranda. How's everybody? <laughs> I
1: I think we're talking about both of yours favorite movie. I feel like I said that right. <laughs>
3: I think this was my... Most formative movie. It certainly changed the course of
2: my young life. What about you, Jamie? This is my, it, it, well, actually, maybe this movie made me want to write movies mm. as opposed to play music. But this was my favorite movie when I was a kid, and it is still my favorite movie now. Uh, I love this movie so much. Uh, it's the best movie in the world. I agree.
3: And our whole generation agrees. I feel like this movie, like, yeah. shaped
2: our whole generation (laughs) it's true there's very little wrong with it it's it's perfect i love this movie so much it was so like i was really excited to watch it again this morning even though i had watched it for fun less than two weeks ago so i was really i'm really fresh on it i've never been fresher on school of rock (laughs) (laughs) so
3: great sarah what's your relationship with this movie
1: I had never seen this movie before this morning because this came out when I was 14 or 15. And I think that I had recently, like when this became an option, I'd recently seen Old School and I found it like so distressing and unfun and gross and sad that I was like, I don't want to watch movies about irresponsible men being yelled at by women about the things they want to do. Because I guess it was like, I think all of those must be like Vince Vaughn movies, which was like, <laughs> I think a reasonable thing to not wanna see. Yeah. But then I watched this today and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, it's like <laughs> dead poet society, but with like the additional joy of like, A, it being about fifth graders, which just like is a different vibe, B, not ending in tragedy, and C, that like I, <laughs> one of the things I mention every so often is that I love it I love it when men are like, I want to sing. And how they don't <laughs> do it very much. Like, I feel like it's rare for men to be yeah. like, I love singing. And Jack yes. Black <laughs> loves singing. <laughs> <laughs> he
2: sure does. In real life, too. <laughs> yes. I was thinking that, too. I I mean, I was like 10 when this movie came out. I was like the exact right age for it. Mm. But I think that if I was... 15 I also would have been equally frustrated by that because I I don't have a lot of love for like the mid 2000s man child era of mm-hmm. movies. I find most of them really really frustrating. Mm-hmm. It really it kind of is the only one that works for me. And it's weird cuz Dewey doesn't really change very much. <laughs> <laughs> but I was trying to think I was like how does Dewey change? Mm-hmm. And I think that he learns how to be a team player even mm-hmm. though he's still like I will be the lead singer, but I recognize there are other people involved.
1: And and we're not going to do my song, although his song does rock.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about this this week, Hmm. Sarah, how in Rent, the song that is supposed to bring Mimi back to life, like markedly sucks more than all of the other Roger songs that kind of suck. But at least (laughs) the two original songs in this movie are like equally good. Like they're yeah. all I would have loved hearing you're not hardcore unless you live hardcore at Battle of the Bands. But also Zach's song was very good.
3: Yeah. I love that moment where he's like, I'm not a singer. Like, you sing it. I'm gonna do my thing. You do your thing. We mm-hmm. work together and we make this beautiful show that changes people's minds and emotions and and really shifts things. I think that's It's so, so important to, like, take criticism and understand your role and, like, know that neither of those roles are more or less important than the other. I just, I think it's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had such a huge crush on Zach. Joey Gatiss Jr. was my greatest love. Oh, my
1: God. Wait, which kid is that?
3: Zach. Zach. The guitarist.
1: Oh, the guitar kid. Yeah. Yeah, the nerd boy.
3: Yeah, I saw this movie when I was 12. So it was like exactly the mark between elementary school and middle school. So Mm -hmm. I was like, it changed the way that I operated. And I was kind of, you know, in sixth grade, I was kind of like, well, I'll wear the graphic t-shirts from American Eagle and try to like please everybody. And then this movie came out and I was like... Oh no, I'm a rock and roller and I want to become a public figure so I can run into Joey Gates Jr. at the Kids Choice Awards. Uh. <laughs>
2: Joey Gates call me, call Jamie. <laughs> Either of, also Lawrence call me. I had a big crush on like kind oh. of like every and and Posh Spice, who goes by Rivka Reyes now and they are a really really talented comedian yeah there I was like wow wow this is a very like if you were the correct age this movie was like crush central Mm -hmm. and it's a perfect movie except with a couple I still like I feel like the only thing that really still sticks in my damn craw about this movie (laughs) is um wasting Sarah Silverman
1: yeah and that was like Mm -hmm. the first thing I knew about it too I remember seeing like a random clip of it on tv and it's right where they're like Sarah Silverman villain and I was just like but i like sarah silverman
2: this was my introduction to sarah silverman imagine (laughs) Mm. my surprise
1: (laughs) does one of you want to do the plot summary because it'll be a lot faster jamie
2: okay well it's funny roger came up because he's also in this movie
3: there he is first thing what isn't
2: that wild incredible
3: who is he in this The lead singer of No Vacancy.
2: No. It sounds like a Roger song. Oh my God, it is a Roger song. Yeah, that's like a song that would bring someone back from the dead in Rent. (laughs) But in the world of this movie, it sucks.
1: In Rent, the musical where women have the lowest musical standards for a supernatural event ever.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So there's this guy, his name is Dewey Finn, and he's... Jack Black, he's just Jack Black It's Jack Black as himself And it's the greatest, this movie Is directed by Richard Linklater, written by Mike White Mm, We're mm, winning mm. Jack Black is in a band With Roger from Rent And some other guy Mm -hmm. But his flaw He wants too much attention It's bothering his band He always needs to be the center of attention And also he's always, I don't know It's not working He is Mike White's roommate. Mike White plays Ned, a former goth rocker in one of my favorite staged pictures from the past of all time.
3: (laughs) The cross-dressing, blood-sucking incubus from maggot death. I feel like
2: that's important. That's an important quote. (laughs) And then there's a visual. Where's the maggot death reunion? I love (laughs) Mike White is like, I'm going to be in the movie, but I know myself. (laughs) That's a superpower. Okay, so now he's on the straight and narrow in the vague city we're in. (laughs) He is a substitute teacher, even though Dewey always calls him a temp, and he's dating Sarah Silverman, who's an assistant to the mayor of the city.
1: <laughs> I feel like we're in New York gago Jersey or something.
2: It seems like Diet New York, mm-hmm. which could be a lot of American cities. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Dewey is shortly after kicked out of the band by Roger from Rent because they're taking battles of bands seriously this year.
3: And they're replacing him with Spider.
2: I learned that Spider is played by a guy named Lucas Babin, or Babin, who is now a district attorney in Texas. What? He's a model turned DA, and he was also in an episode of Sex in the City.
1: (gasps) Wait, what? In 2001.
2: You're
3: exploding Sarah's brain. We have to slow down.
2: (laughs) Well, the part is minimal. It sounds like he's in the background.
1: I have to know.
2: He's in a 2001 episode, The Real Me. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: His role is model at the party.
1: Oh, model at the party.
2: He's a DA now.
1: What a life to live.
2: The spider to DA pipeline.
1: I I do think the real me is one of the top 10 all time sex in the city episodes. So good for him. Maybe
2: (laughs) I know. I really need a clarifier on what his politics are. His Wikipedia page is a little fuzzy. (laughs) But anyways, Dewey's replaced by spider. And Sarah Silverman wants to evict him. I feel like this is like the 2000s man-child thing. She's controlling Mike White's life. Mm -hmm. She's such a shrill bitch.
1: (laughs) Women are awful, am I right?
2: Jack Black doesn't want to pay his rent, and so she's evil Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. Jack Black needs a job, or he's going to get kicked out of the apartment. One day, he gets a call, and who is it? Joan Cusack. She's the principal of a nearby fancy elementary prep school and she needs a long term sub. And something I always have questions about a teacher broke their leg on their way to school, <laughs> which it's never come back to. Her absence keeps extending. We don't know why. Is the leg infected?
1: It's actually a very working girl. A broken leg is like, it's a great it's thing true. Need to sub in for it because you're like, yeah. They're going to be laid up for weeks, months, however long it takes for this plot to happen.
2: (laughs) Um, And so Dewey hears that the job pays $650 a week, which is more money than I ever made substitute teaching. (laughs) So he pretends to be Ned Schneebly and takes the job Mm. in one of my... There's so many good Jack Black line reads in this movie, but... I love. Him. He goes. Uh, this is Ned <laughs> <I like this. laughs>
1: Also, I guess like his face and the phone move is so good. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> it's like just a joy to watch him perform. I feel mm-hmm. like this movie, like, like it has good bones. But like, what is it about Jack Black? Because like I. Love him. I feel like he could have played, he could have. Jack Black could, I guess he's like the wrong age for it now, but at the time he could have had the title role in Amadeus and he would (laughs) have been perfect for it.
2: It is wild to me. I think that there's a world in which this movie is only okay if Jack Black isn't in it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. He's
2: so good. It's
1: like Working Girl without Melanie Griffith. It's like, it's a good script. Like it, it sort of follows all the rules in a way that feels fun, but like, Yeah, like you need a performance of someone who you just like love to watch, I think. Mm -hmm.
2: So he goes to Horace Green Prep School to sub for a class of fifth graders. He meets Joan Cusack, who plays Rosalie Mullins, aka Roz. Mm -hmm. She's a little tightly wound, as she will later admit in an iconic line of dialogue. Mm -hmm. She (laughs) brings Dewey to the classroom. He doesn't know how to teach. He meets all of the kids, All of the kids are important. He doesn't know how to teach. Uh, He tells the kid it's going to be recessed forever until one day he hears them in music class and realizes that a lot of them know how to play instruments. And so he decides he is going to turn the kids into a band and beat Roger from Rent and the DA from Texas (laughs) at the Battle of the Bands in three weeks what happens next is one of the greatest scenes in all of movies yep. where jack black tells the kids like it's every line read is the perfect line perfect. read he tells which kid is going to play which instrument what's everyone's favorite
3: uh, oh my god well i want to say that the third time i saw this in theaters i brought along my mini disc player Ooh. remember mini disc players we thought they were the future mm-hmm
1: I feel like I actually missed many discs because I was distracted for six months and they came and went like a summer breeze. Yeah. It was
3: very brief, (laughs) but I brought one in with the little microphone because the soundtrack was not out yet. And even when the soundtrack came out, these sequences were not on it, of course, because why Mm -hmm. would they be? So I recorded all of these song sequences and just listened to them all the time. (laughs) So (laughs) I feel very passionately about this moment. When it drops into Highway to Hell, it's like... The perfect moment. I can, I, when I rewatched this, I could feel my 12 year old heart changing. It's so beautiful. Uh,
1: I think the moment when I was like, oh, I love this movie. I have fallen in love with this movie was when. He's getting Lawrence to play keyboards on Mm -hmm. Touch Me by the Doors. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Lawrence is good Good at piano. He He shall shall be rocking rocking in my show. (laughs)
3: Stop. It's perfect. You're perfect.
2: Oh, my God. Most of that scene is one shot. It's so crazy. Like, he's so good. And all the kids are good. And they play it right. And it's like, oh. My favorite part is when he goes, cello, it's a bass. Oh, you play cello?
3: Which is so not true. They're tuned completely differently. (laughs) I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the upright bass,
2: but that's okay. Yes.
3: This is such a fun episode for me to be doing right now also because I'm currently on tour with the Seattle Rock Orchestra, which is just a bunch of like orc dorks that I love, They're professional musicians, but that we just play full classic rock albums.
1: (sighs) Mm.
2: That's so perfect. Yeah.
3: Wait, what are you playing? We're playing the Beatles, Let It Be and Abbey Road. Oh, whoa. Oh, my God. That's so great. It's a great time. We've done like Zeppelin and Bowie and like this is perfect timing. I feel great about this. I love (sighs) all these
2: children so much. You're living the school of rock kids dream.
3: I'm doing my best, Jamie.
1: One of the themes here that I want to get back to when we're done with the plot is like, what does it mean to rock? Mm. And I think that's a very exciting, I'm very excited to have that conversation.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Dewey figures out who the band is, but that leaves like 10 kids. And the kids are like, we all need something to do, which challenges Dewey to realize that people exist out of his immediate interest. <laughs> And another great scene, he assigns other jobs such as light, costumes, uh, roadies, and groupies, question mark, Mm -hmm. which baby Miranda Cosgrove has some notes about the next day. Because this is Miranda Cosgrove's debut before she's on Drake and Josh and iCarly and still iCarly now.
1: Wow. Wow. Set her free. I know. (laughs) Truly.
2: She comes back to Jack Black the next day after everyone gets their jobs. Everyone is happy with their jobs except two people. Summer, who looked up groupies and says, they're sluts. They sleep with the band. What he should have done is given her a copy of Pamela DeVar's book, but he didn't. Mm. He instead Mm. gives her a new job, which is manager she's the manager. The other person who's not happy with the job they were assigned is Tamika, who was assigned to be a roadie. Uh, she's called Turkey Sub because one time she gave Dewey a Turkey <laughs> Sub. And that's how his brain works. So Tamika goes to Dewey and says, I actually want to be a singer. And then she sings, even though she's shy. I love Tamika so much. And she's promoted as singer. And then she has to listen to the great gig in the sky mm. a lot of stuff happening the band is getting better and better they have to keep it a secret from uh principal mullins they have to go to audition for battle of the bands dewey has to convince principal mullins to let them go what he does after talking to the other teachers is hears that one time she got drunk and sang stevie nicks which Miranda, you should do this part i feel like this is yeah. this is your part <laughs>
3: Um, yeah. So they go out to the bar and he hits the jukebox and then flutters his wings back Ugh. while the iconic 16th note chugs of Edge of 17 play. <laughs> and she loosens up and her whole being changes into somebody different. And she feels the living ghost of Stevie Nicks in her body. Yeah. And gets drunk also <laughs> and it's very manipulative
1: although how much of that beer does she drink not very much yeah she like has like a sip at the beginning because i was like feeling like i knew how that scene was gonna go and i was like oh and then you got the uptight girl drunk and then whatever mm-hmm. but like she's just it's no it's just that she's possessed by the power of stevie which like i feel like Mike White understands because he's met women apparently that like this is a kind of a shared thing that we all get we all get possessed sometimes by Stevie I think absolutely it's true you more than most people though (laughs) I've made a living of it (laughs) I love it
3: and that song well I guess originally they were playing the chain oh and Joan Cusack was like I'm gonna need more Stevie here yeah so this is Mm -hmm. a great song from her first solo album
1: can you, Miranda, can you talk for just a second about, like, what does it feel like to do Stevie?
3: Mm. So I wear exclusively bell sleeves, and I'm constantly moving mm-hmm. my arms. And then her voice is just like a tube that comes up from your diaphragm and into your nose. <laughs> and then there's just like some crackle in your throat. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, Stevie is and was like a real introvert. And she talks a lot about how being on stage and creating this kind of character allowed her to have this whole other facet of herself that she doesn't express otherwise. And I really relate to that. And I love to get on the floor and wail. (laughs) Sarah, what does it feel like to you to be possessed by the living ghost of Stevie Nicks? Mm.
1: So I first fell in love with Stevie Nicks in 2016. I was 28. It was like a summer when I really needed her. And it was like listening to her music felt like the only way that I could like allow my feelings to be as big as they were. Like to me, it feels Mm. like. I think I think of it more emotionally, but it feels like your insides become the size of Grand Central Station Mm. and just like (laughs) all the feelings that you need to acknowledge have space to get in there. Mm -hmm. But also it's like crowded. Sometimes you're like, wow, I'm so big inside and I'm just so full of emotion and yet I can like feel all of it at once. And I like, I mean, well, what I say about Lindsay Buckingham is that like, I really do wish almost everybody well, but not him. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 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 Like Lindsay Buckingham, I think is really good at doing a nice energetic pop song with really good technique that is about one to two feelings at the very Mm -hmm. most. (laughs) Mostly winning Mm -hmm. or losing. (laughs) Yes. Winning, losing, spite, and horniness. These are his food (laughs) groups. And, you know, good for him. But, like, but Stevie Nicks is, like, allows me to sort of, like, feel my whole soul in a way that I think I sort of, I don't know. She, like, is an aid in the fight against a lifelong kind of discipline of emotional repression. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And
1: I feel like she's like actually helped me to grow and to heal.
3: I sometimes don't get through Silver Springs. I had to stop in a rehearsal because I was crying. Every member of my band has cried at different times to Silver Springs while we're playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think it applies to any tragedy. Yeah. Like you can find lyrics in it that apply to whatever kind of sorrow you're feeling and it's oh yeah I agree with that yeah. completely Jamie what's your relationship we're getting down into a Stevie Nicks hole here
2: <laughs> I associate her with my mom and my aunt mm-hmm. like together because they loved her together and my aunt passed uh last year so I was thinking of. I listened to a lot of Stevie during that time mm-hmm. because it was I don't know yeah like she was like part of the glue of their friendship which was like really weird and complicated which is what so much of her music is about weird and complicated yeah
3: and that's such a beautiful thing about stevie too is that from like all of the reading i've done about her as far as i can tell she doesn't really give a shit about anything but like singing with her women friends Mm -hmm. like she just like always had a pack of women around her kind of protecting her and they would just like leave parties and go like sing in her chambers like all night while there was a party going on downstairs it's like that feels so appropriate for who she is
1: I and I feel it's funny thinking about just how like in these depictions of like what are satanists supposed to be doing like what are we (laughs) inventing that they're doing like they're always chanting because like we understand that like chanting is part of religion or like a lot of, you know, ritual involves like saying stuff together. But like, I think we also kind of in the fear of witches historically understand that like women singing together specifically can create a power that is like very real, I think. Yeah.
2: Can open a vortex. Yes.
3: I wish we could sing together right now, but we can't because we're on Google meet.
1: (laughs) Maybe next time.
3: <laughs> they
2: don't want us to sing together. <laughs> yeah.
1: So. So. Joan Cusack unbuttons her soul. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she does.
1: And I, I appreciate
2: that this movie doesn't, like, force Jack Black and Joan Cusack together. Because I feel like as a kid, yeah. I just, like, wanted it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was almost better to not get it for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And I guess that they, that was in the original cut they make out mm. oh really which feels like way more manipulative and icky so yeah. i'm glad that it got cut
1: yeah
2: yeah it works much better like leaving you being like i wonder what's gonna happen with these two you don't know she could get fired <laughs> <laughs> so um he convinces principal ross to uh let Him take the kids to this band audition under false pretenses. They go to audition. It doesn't go well, but then um, Dewey has all the kids pretend they're terminal. And then all of a sudden, they can play at Battle of the Bands. There's a few like jump scares where (laughs) it seems like Roz is about to figure out that Dewey is a fraud, but it never really happened. On the same night that Roz asks Dewey to drive her to parents night, but not as a date, which I thought was very charming and weird. Yeah. Oh, and this is also after she they bond over her getting real with him about how much pressure she's under as mm-hmm. the principal of a prep school. Uh, it's a very expensive school. I don't know. Like this scene is so interesting to me. I feel like my feelings change about it over mm-hmm. time where I feel like most times you see like an uptight woman, you get no context where, and so it's just implied that that is like how she was born. (laughs) But after Roz sings Stevie Nicks one time, she's like, well, like this is a really, really high pressure job. These parents are, you know, evil vultures and I used to be fun and I used to be cool, but now I'm a bitch, (laughs) a big one. And it's such a good line read. And then Dewey says, I don't think you're a bitch. And I think he's telling the truth there. Maybe I'm being naive.
1: No, I think you're right. He is
2: manipulating her.
1: I think that once you see someone sing Stevie Nicks, you know that that they don't want to be the way that they are. And also, like, prep school parents are the worst. Like, when the, like, Operation Varsity Blues story broke and people were expressing, like, Some degree of surprise, kind of like at prep schools of all places, this much criminality. And it was like, yes, all these parents are fucking criminals. They don't care what they do to their kids. They don't care how they have to get a speed prescription for them so they can do all their homework. They don't care who they have to bribe. Like all that matters is that they get their children into a school that they're probably not smart enough for. This has been happening Mm. for hundreds of years. Was your school
3: technically a prep school or was it just Episcopalian? Yes. Okay. so
1: you know. I mean, I think prep is like a broad category and we apply it a lot to like an aesthetic of, Mm -hmm. you know, like the kind of New England prep. But it was like very oriented toward what college you were going to go to. And they advertise themselves as like this many students in this class go to an Mm -hmm. Ivy League school or the Mm -hmm. things that are a step Mm -hmm. down from Ivy league and just like this idea, like it never occurred to anybody there was any other thing to do as a young person except like work as hard as possible, have your parents buy you the stuff that you couldn't muscle through and then like go to the most prestigious school that you could. And for what? No one knows. So that the United States can continue to be run by the same cabal of mostly white people who know each other from each other's weddings. That's why. Oof. (laughs)
2: And I uh, this movie, I mean, I guess it's like not the movie's primary interest, really. But I do like that you see, I guess you could argue it's a little easy on the prep school parents at the end of the day.
1: Yes. They do the reverse dead poet society (laughs) where they like see their kids perform. And are like, yeah, yeah, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) It's the power of rock. Yeah. I love that the power of rock
2: is a healing force in this movie, even when it like doesn't totally make sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. So they're in the battle of the bands. They're practicing. But one day, Mike White gets a check to Ned Schneebly from Horace Green Prep School and is like, I'm the most honest man in the world. Surely I wouldn't just cash a check made out to me. But Dewey has to confess he has been impersonating Ned Schneebly and is in charge of the School of Rock. Mike White does seem to think this is cool, but a vengeful Sarah Silverman surely will feel differently. Which she does. So, Dewey has to go to this parents' night. He drives Roz. He almost confesses to her. He says he's a fraud. But instead, Roz is now his friend and says, you're not a fraud. You're a great teacher. Which is true and yet also false. (laughs) So, he goes... So he goes to parents' night. All of the parents have begun to catch on, including my favorite line, the woman who plays Summer's mom saying, why is my daughter suddenly obsessed with David Geffen? (laughs) But essentially the the jig is up because the kids are like, hey, just tell our parents about the music project because they don't think they're doing anything wrong. Sarah Silverman is called the cops for some reason. (sighs) This, uh, I really... Her character really is. I think her name's Patty. It's the big flaw of School of Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else is perfect. Yeah.
1: The Patty problem.
2: (laughs) What we talk about when we talk about Patty. (laughs) (laughs) The cops show up to arrest Dewey. There's a very 2003 joke about... I think I've touched your kids, and they've touched me too, Mm -hmm. which is the the only other problem with School of Rock. (laughs) The jig is up for Dewey. He is run out of the school, literally, and his dreams are dead, unless (laughs) the kids have learned about the power of rock. (laughs) And so the next day, I can't tell if they have a new substitute teacher or if they're just Just sitting around (laughs) at this point. Anarchy. It is unclear how good, I I mean, I'm like, maybe there's a shortage of subs, but I'm like, principal Mullins. (laughs) But... Tamika is the one that is like, it would be very punk rock if we did the show anyways. We've worked too hard. She steamrolls Freddie, a.k.a. Spazzy McGee. And all the kids decide, yes, we are going to go to battle the bands. And so they convince the school bus driver, who seems to know what he's doing, but just doesn't care, (laughs) to pick Jack Black up from the studio apartment he and Mike White share and they go to the Battle of the Bands, but not before Sarah Silverman narks on them a second time <laughs> in the third act. Because
3: women. Are the
2: worst. (laughs) All the prep school kids are furious at Principal Roz. They confront her. She is like, this will never happen again. And then she gets a call saying that all the kids are missing. The best line. So she's like, I've just been informed that all your kids are missing. (laughs) So that's the end of
1: the scene.
2: (laughs) So Jack Flag maybe should... He's maybe a criminal at this point. It's unclear.
1: (laughs) Jack Black is going to federal prison, but don't even worry about it.
2: We're never going to see him again. But also, you would think that from the first time they called the cops on him, and it seems like they just sentenced him to living with Mike White forever. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone goes to the battle of the band, including the real Ned Schneebly, including all of the parents, including Principal Roz. Jack Black is very amped. At the last second, they make a set change. They were going to play Dewey's song, a.k.a. Jack Black. But then at the last second, they decide, no, we're going to play a song that Zach wrote. And he's the kid who is like a natural on the guitar. The scene where they perform is so amazing for so many reasons. But I love that like the movie goes way out of its way to make sure you see what every kid is doing, <laughs> not just the band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see... Gordon on the lights, you see the roadies doing the fog machines, you see security dancing, you see uh, the costume designer, aka Fancy Pants, jamming out. You see everybody and the parents are like, wow, our kids are so good at band. (laughs) There's a lot of good parental reaction shots. Tamika gets a solo, which is important to me. Mm -hmm. So does Lawrence, Mm -hmm. which is also important. So does Zach. It It goes great. Also, I forgot to mention Roger from Rent and the DA have performed and they ultimately win but it's an upset. The School of Rock gets an encore and everyone comes on stage and sings Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll. Mm. Mm. The DA says that Principal Roz is sexy.
1: I didn't like that part. I was like back away Principal Roz, this guy's bad news. He has a tattoo that says sex. (laughs) Does he still have it as the DA? We don't know.
2: (laughs) I also forgot to mention that Mike White breaks up with Sarah Silverman tacitly. She was holding him back with all of her rules. (laughs) So he leaves her and goes to see his friend commit a crime in public or whatever. (laughs) And then the epilogue is that... Dewey opens the School of Rock after school program. He teaches advanced rock. Mike White teaches rock 101. The end. It's the best. Oh. I love the credits, too. It's all so good. So good.
3: Yeah. So good. And like mostly one shot and mostly improvised. Oh, it's so, so, so Yeah.
2: Another great. I, there's so many. I mean, Birdman Who. <laughs> this is the one shot movie. <laughs>
1: Oh, it's so true. Dunkirk, whatever.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, Sarah, one of my first questions to open this discussion is, how do you think this movie might have affected you had you seen it when it came out?
1: Mm. Hmm. Hmm. I feel like it's like the question is, like, would I have been receptive to it? And I think, Mm. sadly, I wouldn't, because Mm. when I was 15, 14, 15 16, like, those were my peak years of having my armor up and just mm. being like, man, I'm cynical. <laughs> and, like, I think I c- could, like, relax that around stuff that I was already fond of from childhood, but, like, I... <laughs> I did the commencement address at my old high school last year and our friend and my usual co-host here, Alex Steed, who's busy committing a crime in public and therefore can't be here today. (laughs) I hope so. Went with me, kind of heard the way that like my old teachers talked to and about me. And he's like, yeah, it's interesting for me to realize that like I met you after you were severe. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I was severe as a teenager. (laughs) Like I felt like very, I just like was like nothing good is going to come of like feelings or trying to be friends with anyone or like, although I was writing Newsies fan fiction and that Mm. was like my secret safe place that happened entirely in my brain and via a dial-up connection. (laughs) And I think I guess, I think I would not have let School of Rock in, just like some people are not prepared (laughs) to let the Lord
3: into their heart.
1: And, (laughs) And I mean, and I also feel like to kind of bring this full circle that like one of the things that was so hard for me about 2020 was that I could like feel that happening again I felt like Mm -hmm. the way I was in eighth and ninth grade where I was like well I don't fucking trust anybody (laughs) it was all a mistake Mm -hmm. like all that like trust and love and open heartedness that was me being an idiot apparently and I just like give up and I really feel like I Yeah, I just like froze stiff a little bit. And (laughs) we are recording this while I'm doing the You're Wrong About Live shows with Jamie. We're both in Pittsburgh right now. I'm drinking an Iron City beer, their unholy collaboration with (laughs) Turner's Iced Tea, which is very good. Beautiful. (laughs) And I feel like this, one of the things I found really touching about this movie that I feel like has been part of my life since I started doing live shows kind of like performing mostly with Jamie and feeling like I got to like hold her hand through it and like figure out how it worked is that like this idea of like it doesn't matter that we didn't win the battle of the bands Mm -hmm. because great concerts change the world Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. I do feel that and I do feel like it's not about whether it's right or wrong to like be open and trusting with people, but just that, like, to the extent that you can do it, it's kind of the only way to live. And mm-hmm. that kind of like getting up on stage and like doing something that other people are like at and are like, don't you find that embarrassing? And you're like, no, it's great. <laughs> you know, it's like how like, and, and Jack Black in this movie really embodying like, Something I love is kind of a loophole to masculinity and that you see in stuff like the decline of Western civilization part two and like in sort of hair metal and, you know, very any kind of band with a lot of pageantry, you know, like Led Zeppelin or The Doors or so many people mm. like featured in this movie where it's like, you can just do whatever you want up there or not whatever you want, but like if you are providing a vehicle for people to sort of see something that makes them feel some kind of liberation from whatever is keeping their soul like stuffed Mm -hmm. into like a tiny corner of their body, then like it doesn't matter (laughs) like how much people would laugh at you for doing any of that in any other context. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that montage of Bonzo Goes to
3: Bitburg which is about Ronald Reagan by the way
1: (sighs) oh my god of course fun fact
3: for Sarah but that montage is just so beautiful where they're all watching people perform and understanding like what that means to just like put your Mm -hmm. soul out onto a stage and Mm -hmm. uh it's so beautiful
2: I really love uh, that that montage is so and like most montages are so lazy and suck but this one is perfect (laughs) Because you can also just tell everyone in this movie is having so much fun. I, I've i seen this movie probably 50 times at least. And I always forget or like not forget, but it never is like at the front of my mind that they lose the battle of the bands mm. because it doesn't feel that way. It's like crash winning best picture. You're just like, <laughs> there's no way that happened. And if, it did it didn't count or like just how like bill murray beat jack black for the golden globe that year and you're just like that didn't happen
1: for what for lost in translation yes for the oh sad God. man fuck a married 19 year old movie yes woo, which is woo, woo.
2: but like no he didn't <laughs> <laughs> but they did win the battle of the bands because it like made everyone's life better and Roger from Rent has to be Roger from Rent forever. Spider has to be a DA in Texas. And like, you know, like the School of Rock is the School of Rock forever. And Mm. I remember being shocked with my cousin because my cousin and I saw this together at there used to be a, a movie theater in my hometown, but it was said at the time there was too much crime at the movie theater, and so it was shut down. And at the screening of School of Rock we went to, someone got stabbed in the foot and everyone had to go. And then we got a voucher to come back a, a different day. We went back like a couple of days later and got to find out how it ended. So the battle of the band hit for us hard because we've wow. we been thinking about the battle of the band for days. And we're like, <laughs> and they lost? But it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't feel that way. I, I really do like the full circle of the stage dive the Mm -hmm. narrative stage dive is so great because you're like wow all Jack Black had to do is learn how to be a team player and think of someone other than his own fractured ego Mm -hmm. and then he got what he wanted and also got to be there for other people and Mm -hmm. uh, it just makes me so happy
1: Yep. yeah Miranda I mean can you talk about like what this movie did in your life and kind of how do you how do you feel like it changed your path (sighs) Well, like I was saying earlier, I
3: I saw it at that like crux of elementary school and middle school and it both kind of figuratively changed me in that I was like, oh, I can put the things that I love into a community of people and not have to necessarily change what I love. Mm -hmm. And then sort of ironically the other side of it was that it literally changed the way I dressed and my taste in music Mm
1: -hmm. and
3: I found all my friends in middle school that way I just hung out with a bunch of boys and we'd get together and play ACDC songs and it was just it was like this movie just like shifted something in my mind I was on the message boards about all the kids oh yeah what about you Jamie what what kind of teen were you
2: Oh, um, I was... uh, (laughs) I I sucked. (laughs) I mean, when this movie came out, I was, like, uh, really intense. Like, I really liked writing everything down because i had ocd and i didn't know it and so my family was like jamie wants to be a writer and i was like i this doesn't feel good all the time <laughs> but i have memories of like writing out every word i could remember from this movie because i was just like wow. that was how i mm-hmm. processed anything at any time mm-hmm. So i think i've told you about my notebooks from when i was a kid where i from like second grade to like eighth grade i couldn't, like, I would try to be as subtle as possible about it, which was not very effective, but I, like, couldn't leave a room without writing down what was on the walls and what everyone was wearing, or the world would end.
1: If you were ever a witness to a crime, though, you would have been, Mm. like, the perfect witness. Like
2: the foot stabbing. Well, yeah, you would think that, except uh, I had my own code, so they wouldn't have been able to tell what I was Mm. writing about. So it's all hieroglyphics. (laughs)
1: Yeah, because Jamie Loftus doesn't snitch. (laughs) Not like Sarah Silverman. Exactly. I wasn't
2: a patty about it. Perfect. But I I just like I thought the kids were so cool. And I I really I remember feeling really connected to to Tamika. And I loved her character so much. And like, I just I don't know. I love how. The kids are distinct. I feel like a lot of times in movies, kids are either like broad stereotypes or just like mishmashed in the background. But Mm -hmm. every kid in this class has a personality and it seems to be connected to who the kid is. But I loved Tamika so much because she like, I felt like her at the beginning of the movie where she would like take the role that was like randomly assigned to her based on basically no information, Mm -hmm. stew about it. And then hopefully one day find the courage to be like, no, I want to do the thing. And Mm -hmm. I loved the scene where Tamika tells fake Ned Schneepley that like, (laughs) I'm a singer. I can sing. And that scene definitely motivated me because I was in fifth grade when that movie came out to like audition for the school play, Mm -hmm. which was a junior production of Hamlet that my (laughs) fifth grade class did. (laughs) And it worked out great. I was like, I did what I, I don't know. I was like, you're a kid. You do what you're told. My mom told me that I was going to go to ballet class because uh, she had a discount and it was feminine.
1: There's a ballet coupon. (laughs) A coupe.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's a very French coupon. (laughs) And I liked ballet class, but it wasn't my idea. And I liked writing stuff down, but I didn't feel like my idea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And but like, I wanted to, I don't know, like, I just I I loved the idea of like a bunch of shy kids who were unsure of themselves going on stage, because that was like, how I feel like a lot of kids. That's definitely how I felt. And it's so easy to plug yourself into one of the kids. Of like, oh, yeah, I'm the kid that's like, no, let me play Hamlet, Acts 1 through 3. I can do it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't know. It felt very aspirational. And it also felt aspirational that there would be a teacher or an adult in your life who would see that potential in you or would listen mm-hmm. to you if you said, I think that I can do something other than what you think I can do. Mm -hmm. This movie is so full of that. And I like, I guess Summer and Tamika and Lawrence are like the best examples of those characters. Mm. But like Dewey, even when he's being a little scam goddess, like (laughs) is so gentle with the kids and like listens to them. And that scene with Lawrence where he's like, I can't Mm. do it, I'm not cool.
1: Ugh.
2: Yeah, And then they say, let's rock, let's rock today. And it's just, it's great. I I like that kids are listened to and they like surprise themselves. And the adults who underestimate them have to just watch.
1: It's great. Yeah, I feel like that is one of the huge things that makes this. An iconic movie, clearly. Mm-hmm. And it actually reminds me of because um, Brandi recently watched the Look Who's Talking trilogy because we were <laughs> doing an episode about Look Who's <laughs> Talking now, and I wanted to have all of the Look Who's Talking lore. She's the Ubriaco scholar. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved how the first movie, like the sort of plot driver of it, really is that like Kirstie Alley has this baby. She like wants to reunite with the baby's like horrible biological dad and her gradually realizing that John Travolta it like is the right dad for Mikey because he loves Mikey and he like loves spending time with the baby. And I was very moved by that because I was raised by a dad who was like felt it was actively very demeaning to have to spend time with a baby and it's not a good way to grow up Mm -hmm. and guess this thing of like yeah the rarity of having teachers who like especially in this kind of idea of a school that's kind of a pressure cooker like are leading with what the kids need and Mm -hmm. what they can see the kids are capable of and like clearly want to be doing and just need you know not to be like pushed and pushed and pushed but just like A little nudge and just this proof that like culturally we understand what children need, but we just like really fumble in the execution most of the time.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there
3: a kid that you relate to most in this group, Sarah? Hmm
1: i I mean, probably Lawrence, honestly, mm-hmm. because he's like he has the goods, but like he needs to just be told what he has and like reminded of what he has to offer. And I think I still identify with that where like I consistently don't understand like what I have to contribute and unless I'm given like extremely overwhelming evidence about it, mm-hmm.
2: yeah i I liked seeing kids first of all, recognize their own worth, and like you were saying, Sarah, like, Larry has the goods. <laughs> he just needs to believe it and like find a way to express it in a way that feels good to him. Mm-hmm. And I love that every kid has their version of this journey. And that also like, I don't know another thing that didn't resonate for me as much as I was a kid, but does now is that like every element of the school of rock is important. Yes. Yeah. And everyone gets their moment and none of it is made to seem like irrelevant. Even the, I think the most like 2003 writing choices, like the, blonde girls are groupies mm-hmm. yeah but the way that that job actually goes is that they're doing marketing yeah <laughs> like they're not groupies. <laughs> yeah. they are doing an important job and the movie does take a second to be like they choose the name of the band they design the logo they like make everything uh mm-hmm. fancy pants uh billy for some reason gordon the lighting kid always stood out to me mm-hmm. because i was like how the f- fuck did he learn that (laughs) (laughs) where did he get that damn software that's so cool and I just have a thing for like I feel like I've ended I know I have ended up hooking up with a fair amount of lighting (laughs) tech audio because I'm just like what what is this my brain is so tiny (laughs) and your job is to look at me
1: (laughs) beautiful I, yeah, I feel like the groupie thing, like that's one of the only wobbles where you're like, no, and like it's, groupies are very important. Like groupie is an yes, important yes. job. When I was like 12 watching VH1 countdowns and Almost Famous, I was like, I very much am going to be a groupie when I grow up. Uh-huh. The issue is not the validity of being a groupie. It's, it's, it's talking about that with fifth graders. Yes. That's the only problem. Yeah. Just, don't, just don't do that.
2: Right. Oh, this, another thing I really liked about this movie when I was a kid, I feel like this was a, like, any 10, 11-year-old, like, it's a good age to be, like, introduced to stuff. Mm -hmm. This is, like, very early 2000s. But it would be, like, Dewey Finn taught me about rock music. (laughs) And, like, the Gilmore Girls taught me about television from the past Mm -hmm. 30 years. Mm -hmm. And Lemony Snicket taught me about books I had never read or heard of. And I just loved stuff that was, like... About something big and exciting that like it was very unlikely i would be able to learn like by an adult i Mm. saw all the time and so it does Mm -hmm. feel like a portal to like learning more and i just i love kids media like that it feels like a miracle every time it's like pulled off well
1: yeah
3: Yeah, I had those same three portals. Really? (laughs) Also something related to that, that Chelsea, my partner Chelsea Weber Smith of American Hysteria. Ever heard of them? uh, (laughs) They brought up at some point when we were watching this together that there really aren't adult kid movies anymore
2: yeah yeah
3: like we had this great era of movies that made kids feel grown up and adults feel young yeah and we just don't really have that anymore we were like what is it marvel movies like
1: but yeah but those aren't about kids And I feel like kids' movies are like, it's so aimed directly at children. And then it's like, and your parents can enjoy it because Seth Rogen is the voice of this roll of paper towels. And it's like, (laughs) okay, great. But but yeah, and this reminds me a lot of The Bad News Bears, which I think is also Hmm. like similarly a, a movie that has similar themes and had kind of the same mission statement of like... Yeah, like it what because what is there now? I don't know.
2: I don't know. I hope that it does exist. It's just like out of our purview at this time, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, definitely not huge movies like that. Yeah, I like Mike White a lot. I just think he's like, he's really cool. And I think that this so, this was like the beginning of his, like, because he wrote Orange County, which is, I think, how he became. Obsessed with writing Jack Black the perfect role, which is another reason this movie rocks is it's so exciting to see a character actor get the perfect role written for them. And I don't know, I think Mike White is really interesting because his like filmography is so clearly like he's operating on a like one for me, one for them in a way that makes me laugh. It's like he writes School of Rock, and you're like, yeah. And then he writes Nacho Libre, and you're like, no. <laughs> and then he writes Year of the Dog, that's a Molly Shannon movie, and you're oh, like, yeah. yeah. And then he writes the Emoji movie, Pitch Perfect three, and you're like, no. Then he writes <laughs> like White Lotus, and you're like, yeah. And then he writes Despicable Me four coming out next year, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He finally cracked it. It's all been leading to this.
1: Oh, my God. I would like to ask a question that I've been thinking about since watching this, which is like, what does it mean to rock? And I I would put it to you both. And then I'll maybe see if there's anything left for me to say insight wise.
3: Well, one thing that we haven't talked about yet is the man speech. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's just so important to touch on and i think it just relates directly to this which mm-hmm. is like what i think in an ideal world the pinnacle of rock is being able to stick it to the man mm-hmm. and it's not easy <laughs> it's <laughs> like you know you have to like get outside yourself and like you know you think of the man as not only like whatever whatever cabal and capitalism mm-hmm. and all of those things that are like holding us under our respective boulders. um, But also just like getting over yourself and getting past the part of yourself that's like, I can't do this. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to be scary. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. whatever. Even ego stuff, like just like getting over all of that Mm -hmm. and sticking it to the man. I think that's like the heart of it. (sighs) What about you, Jamie?
2: That is an excellent point. Yeah, I I feel like it's like connected to the idea of, it just makes me think of that scene where Frankie, another underrated character, is like, you're the man, Miss Mullins. And then <laughs> yes. John Cusack's like, yes. thank, thank you, Frankie. You, Frankie. <laughs> oh, it's, she's so perfect. But she, all, like, I, she is the man, but you also understand that like, she wasn't always the man mm-hmm. and that like, through observing the epic journey of the School of Rock, that perhaps she's no longer the man because now mm-hmm. she is a groupie.
3: Careful fighting man
2: lest you become man. <laughs> she lived too long and she became the man.
1: When you look too long into the man the man looks back into you.
2: <laughs> I I really liked the idea of like I don't know even though like I was never confident enough as a kid to like try playing rock music but it's never too late. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to but I like I couldn't I don't know. I couldn't get there. The closest I could get was auditioning for Hamlet and singing the national <laughs> anthem at a local baseball game. And I was like, all right, yes. that's where we're topping yes. out as a
1: kid. You say that like it's it's not impressive, though. I feel like I'm, v- I'm very impressed by that. Agreed.
2: Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> those things stick out to me because those were the two things I did around this time that were like my idea. Because the harder part for me always is like, telling someone I think I can do it versus actually doing it, which is why that Mm -hmm. Tamika scene is so important Mm -hmm. to me. And like, she's an amazing singer and that is relevant, but I feel like it's way harder to advocate for yourself than to actually show what you can do. Mm -hmm. And that is like what the power of this movie is, is Mm -hmm. kids finding someone who is like, that wants to hear what they want to do and what they think they can do and watch them challenge themselves and watch them kind of like just have freedom in a way that 11 year olds aren't supposed to like, well, this is what I'm being told to do. I'll try it. Does it work for me? No. And I feel safe enough to go to um, this authority figure in my life and say like, this isn't working for me. I want something else and have them actually care and listen. And, and by doing that, they became the greatest band of all time. And
1: <laughs> and this is the best song in the world. <laughs> yes. It is.
2: And it, and it like
1: kind of is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it feels like a fantasy movie in some ways where it's yeah. like, if I, if I find someone who listens to me and cares about me and wants me to challenge myself but feel safe, then my parents and the world will mm-hmm. accept me forever. It's a very mm-hmm. exciting fantasy to see play out. And I feel like it is like one of those movies that like, I don't know. I mean, it affected you and I strong enough, Miranda, that I feel like it's like you can try to take that ethos into your life, into your Dewey Finn years and hope mm-hmm. that you like carry it through. Mm-hmm. It's really nice.
1: Yeah. And like maybe you're both here because of School of Rock partly. And I have Jack mm-hmm. Black to thank for that. <laughs> to me the idea of what it is to rock like it's about damn the man and it's also about I think just kind of getting up on stage or whatever you're on and showing your heart mm-hmm. and kind of creating a space for everyone there to be in that is different from the way the world feels normally and that feels free and liberated and I think whether you like Amy Grant or thrash metal the goal is kind of the same. Yeah. And I when I think about like my <laughs> my Lawrence here is like, I was very much a belter. And when I was a teenager, I would just like go in the computer room and like write my Newsies fan fiction or whatever. But I was singing along with like, the Wicked soundtrack and the Cabaret soundtrack mm-hmm. yeah. and Rent, of course. And I like secretly like really wanted to be in musicals. And I guess like really wanted my mom to tell me once that I should I was good and I should try. And she never did because she I think was terrified that I would like hope for something that I couldn't have. And that would have been the saddest thing for her. So she felt like it would have been the saddest thing for me. But I think the saddest thing was just feeling like my mom believed that there was no point in me trying, which is what I took from that. And just was like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, I need someone to tell me that Lawrence is good at piano or else I'm not (laughs) going (laughs) to go out into the world and do it.
2: Or else you shall not be rocking in your show.
1: (laughs) And how... (laughs) Yeah, and just and I feel like these shows that we're doing now, it's like the opposite of the way I was raised. Where like we go out there and I like wear a slutty outfit and sometimes we <laughs> dance around a little bit to Teenage Wasteland, which is all ah. re- related to the themes. And everything I do up there is like either emotionally vulnerable or potentially embarrassing, but like it f- it's, feels great and it feels like this is what we were meant to do is like the thing where you're like no one is telling me to do this but I know I must do it
2: yeah (laughs) Sarah I do feel like watching you on this tour has been so fun because it's like in school of rock terms it's like watching you do the second stage dive Every night where you're like, all right, I need to do this and I think it's gonna work. And then it like super does and it's so exciting and it's like all support and everyone is having a great time, including you. And it's just exciting to yeah. to see and, and be a part of.
1: Oh my god, Jamie, yeah. you're my Jack Black. Oh, <laughs> I just figured it out. You're my Lawrence.
3: <laughs> yeah i would like to add to that and say sarah i love your voice and i love singing with you and i want you to sing i want you to sing as much as you possibly can because mm. it's so beautiful and i can really feel that you feel it when you sing i think
1: oh, that's thank you miranda that means so much to me and obviously i love your voice so much and i love it when you get i love it when you're possessed by stevie nicks i love it when you're not possessed thank you so much. Um, i want to be
2: possessed <laughs> (laughs) so
1: bad we have to do the daddy question and my answer is very simple miranda and jamie are my daddies and i love you both so much
3: i love you too
1: you're my daddies too oh let's all be each other's daddies we're all each other's daddies and jack black is just up there in heaven in living person heaven jack black and stevie Nicks. they're like we made this we're the daddies of the daddies (laughs) the daddy 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 where can people find both of your beautiful work everybody (laughs) um you can find me
2: on uh, twitter and instagram still i'm on twitter at jamie loftus help instagram jamie chris superstar and Um, You can get my book about hot dogs that comes out May twenty third called Raw Dog.
1: Future Pulitzer Mm, Prize mm, winner mm. (laughs) twenty (laughs) twenty (laughs) four.
2: That I mean, how mad would people be? Uh, Very, but I yeah, and I'll be on tour for for that as well uh, across. The U.S. So if you live in a city, check and see. And
1: we're doing an event in San Francisco on May 24th. Yeah. And I'm so excited. Yay. And Portland. I'm so excited. It's going to be the best. What a time in all of our lives. Yeah. And I feel so lucky yeah. to get to witness and share it. And Miranda, where do people find you?
3: Um, You can find me on Instagram at Miranda the Swamp Monster. And all my bands are linked on there, including the Fleetwood Mac tribute project Little Lies and my original band Cuenca We just released a single like a couple weeks ago and I'm just so grateful to be here and to have been able to talk about this this mostly perfect film and its influence on us. I love you both.
2: Mm. Oh, I you too. I really I so badly want to see you perform as Stevie. It is like <laughs> I can't let this year end without it happening you're so talented and yeah i'm so excited we got to do this together
1: i wish we could close by singing i mean again google meet is the man yeah let's we just have to get together and do it and uh people listening sing with those you love you can't go wrong and to those about to rock we we salute you. you
0: Alright everybody, that is it for this week's episode You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies Thank you so much to Jamie Loftus for coming on and talking about School of Rock Don't forget to look up Jamie's book Raw Dog, linked in the show notes Comes out this month the month of May, May 23rd Thank you so much to Miranda Zickler for editing the episode and uh, co-hosting the episode Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for editing and producing Thank you your listener for listening to you are good a feelings podcast about movies we appreciate you thanks for saying hello on twitter thanks for saying hello on instagram at you are good pod thanks for supporting us on patreon or apple podcast subscriptions uh you make the show possible and you get bonus episodes in return we appreciate you we appreciate that you help make this whole thing happen thanks to fresh Lesh for providing beats that make the show sound so sweet and uh don't forget That you, my friend, are good. All right. Talk soon.